Good afternoon, church. It's uh, my honor to come back up here and uh, share with you from God's Word today, and it is truly an honor. Uh, if you were here last week, you heard from Adam, and he was uh, preaching from 1 Peter and telling us about suffering as a Christian, and then how as, uh, as we as Christians are to share in Christ's suffering. And this week we're going to take a look at God's mission for us and the church and how we're to share in that mission. So uh, some more sharing of, uh, with Christ and things. If you look back in church history, the concept of proper Christian conduct has been described as the imitation of Christi or Christ. Uh, the imitation of Christ specifically is, was coined uh, uh, in the Catholic Church early on. And Charles Wesley in uh, 1770 or 1766 postulated that the Christian perfection at the moment of regeneration by the Holy Spirit results in a perfection of love being motivated completely by love of God and neighbor. Uh, and this is an outward action of the grace that leads, lead, leads someone to justification and sanctification in that believer. And Spurgeon, uh, in, his, in one of his sermons in June 28 of 1891, uh, used the phrase, what would Jesus do? That sounds familiar, right? <laughs> We've heard that one. Uh, <clears throat> what would Jesus do? And he cited that from a book by Thomas A. Kempis, uh, the Imitation of Christ. Uh, and then not long after that, in 1896, a book by Charles Sheldon, In His Steps, was, uh, was uh, published with the subtitle of What Would Jesus Do? Which is unlike the previous examples of, uh, of imitating Christ, but uh, it's really it was proclaiming a social gospel, which was actually no gospel at all. But you see that the thought process has been going on in uh, church circles. And then most familiar to us is the WWJD movement. Anybody familiar with hearing that one? Remember the bracelets with the WWJD and it was in youth groups and in churches uh, probably started back in the late 80s or early 90s and it's probably followed up and through today. Uh, but question and to me was always is that biblical uh, or is it even possible to be like Jesus really uh, Jesus is perfectly he's God and we're not and when I thought about that personally I would always think man that's a, a high bar to meet and I I'm not there can't be there it's impossible uh, but there is a part of our Christian life that moves us in that direction and it's our sanctification when we move from one level of glory to the next we are becoming more like christ as we do that uh, and years ago when i was learning how to share my faith and specifically in that learning how to follow up with somebody that had made a profession of faith when i witnessed to them uh, i learned an illustration in regards to this part of your spiritual growth uh, and anytime I would lead somebody to the Lord, and it's really the Lord 
saving them. I was just the person presenting the gospel. But uh, when they would uh, make a profession of faith, I would always want to help them the next step after that immediately. And uh, so in that immediate follow-up part, uh, there was five steps that I would talk about to them that if they would just apply these five things in their life, uh, as their new life in Christ, they would grow all the time while they're doing this. And the first step was you need to read your Bible. And uh, I tell them not to read, uh, not to get too too upset that you don't understand it, but just start reading the stuff you do understand and, and uh, applying that. And pretty soon the things that you don't understand when you read it, you'll start to understand. Do you understand? Uh, and uh, then the next, and I say, and that's God speaking to you. Uh, that's his word to you. And so there's, there's one way to grow is by reading your Bible. The next way to grow is by prayer. And that's you talking to God. He's now your heavenly father. And uh, since he is your heavenly father, you can talk to him just like you would talk to your own dad. He knows what's going on in your life. Just like your dad always knew what was going on in your life, right? But isn't there something about talking to your dad about the things that are going on in your life that made it more... Uh, made you understand things better and God knows everything so as you start to talk to him that way and you're reading your Bible there's going to be a kind of a conversation going on there so uh, I encourage them to do those things read your Bible and then pray and then the next thing is worship and that's go to church find a church, a good Bible believing church that you can go to where you can uh, uh, learn from the, the pastor in the church but you're also going to be in corporate worship with other believers. And there's something special about that because when you're in corporate worship with other believers, the Holy Spirit's there and it's, uh, it helps you grow as you do that. Plus, they're in the, in the midst of other believers where iron sharpens iron. So go to, go to worship. And then the next thing, and this is where the illustration comes in, was you need to be in fellowship. And the fellowship is not going and eating a meal with somebody, although that can be part of it. But the fellowship is Christian fellowship, where you are in fellowship with somebody that can uh, help you as a Christian grow. And it works kind of like this. Here's the illustration. When you are saved or become a Christian, you're at the bottom of a mountain. And at the top of the mountain, you see Jesus up there. And he's saying, come up here. This is where you need to be. You need to be up here where I am. And you're down at the bottom, you're saying, how do I get up there? And you may be going to church, and you may be reading, or, and you may be, uh, reading your Bible and praying, but it just seems like you, don't, you can't find your way up, the, up that mountain. But there's somebody else that has already gone up that mountain a little ways, and they say, hey, come up here. I'll show you how to, how to, get, how to get to where I am. And so they may throw you a rope, or they may say, you need to take this path here, or go around that rock so you don't fall off that cliff there. And that's, that's where you're in a relationship with somebody that has been walking that walk of sanctification longer than, a lot longer than you have, and they may be able to show you how to get up to where they are. And really that is where the discipleship and a strong part of your sanctification can come in. Uh, and so there's where fellowship comes in. So when I would talk to them about that, I'd say, anytime I'd say that, I'd say, and now let me encourage you to get involved in a relationship with somebody like that and 
since I'm here for, and talk to you about this, I'm willing to spend time with you if you'd like to do that on a regular to semi-regular basis just to help you grow in your new walk in Christ. Uh, some people took the bait on that, and most don't, but uh, the ones that did, uh, it was fulfilling to me because what it did was it stretched me to grow more so that I could te- teach them more, and in the process, they grew too. So you see how that fellowship works. And then finally, the, the last uh, way to grow uh, in the five was uh, to witness, and that's just telling other people what Jesus has done for you and what he can do for them. Uh, and so uh, uh, now when we think about uh, uh, these, these kind of things uh, uh, and getting being sanctified and becoming more like Christ, and you think about the what would Jesus do and me trying to meet that standard, uh, I'm honestly overwhelmed still with that thought. I, I can never be like Jesus, and uh, but I might be a little like him if I applied some things. Uh, but if you look in the Bible and you start looking at people that had been influenced by Jesus personally, the one that really pops out to me the most is Apostle Paul. How he... Uh, in his life and the way he lived uh, is an example that I, I can relate to uh, because, you know, Jesus is perfect. He was God. I can't, be, I can't relate to that totally, but I can relate to somebody that is human like me that was able to do what Jesus was telling him to do and be a, a good example for me. And... Uh, uh, and he, if I can just see what Paul was doing in his life, and if we can see that, maybe we can apply the principles that were in his life, uh, and some of this can be accomplished in our lives. Uh, and you think about Paul, and he says, well, you know, uh, what makes you think that he's, he's the one that you can uh, follow? Well, uh, is it biblical to be like Paul? Well, if you look in your Bible in 1 Corinthians uh, 11.1, Paul even said, be imitators of me as, just as I am also of Christ. So uh, God inspired him to write that. And so there are people out there that we can follow and, and that are following Christ to help us grow. And he also said in, uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 4.16, I urge you to be uh, imitators of me. And so uh, there's nothing wrong with imitating somebody as long as they're following Christ. In 2 Timothy 2.2 is one of the major places where he talked about what to do when you're following somebody. These things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, so Paul was saying, hey, what you've heard me doing and as you've been around me and other people have seen me, what, you're, what I've said to them and how I've acted with them, you do the same thing. And then you pass that on to somebody else so that they can pass it on to somebody else. And there's the, uh, uh, 
whole principle behind this is a, a discipleship principle. Uh, so what made Paul so confident that he was doing what Jesus would do? Uh, if you remember last time uh, when, I, when we were in Titus and talking about uh, this introduction part, uh, we talked about how Paul was a man who worked from principles, divine principles uh, that came from God. They were unchanging, unshifting, unvarying, foundational truths that he built his life on. And Paul operated on these divine principles, and they were in the core of his life. And so working off these divine principles, Paul, uh, it gave Paul four things in his life. One was confidence. He had confidence because he knew he was working off absolute truth from God. When you know that you're doing what God has called you to do, what, if you're driven by what God calls you to do, you'll have confidence. There's no doubt about it. And then there was purpose. Purpose is when, uh, is when you know that the, the divine truth that, that you've, uh, you're experiencing, uh, and you know, so you know what the divine truth is, and you know what's expected of you to do with that truth. And then, uh, then he had uh, not only uh, confidence and purpose, but uh, he had uh, purpose. Uh, not purpose, but wisdom. And wisdom, knowing, so when you know these principles and you're acting on the principles, you have discernment and judgment to know how to get things done that you've been called to do. And then uh, the final uh, uh, thing that comes out of having a, being a per person that's driven by these uh, principles is that you'll have power. Uh, when you operate on divine principles, you're in God's will, and you have power and strength to act according to those principles because you'll be uh, working with the Spirit's power in you. So divine power, divine wisdom, divine discernment, and divine direction, that was Paul. He was confident that, uh, and that's why he could say, hey, be imitators of me. Uh, and he had a confidence because he acted in accordance with the principles that, that uh, and he'd done that so often that it became a second nature to him. And that in itself is a principle. You start getting this stuff in you, if you'll act on it in a habitual way, it'll become, you'll become it and it'll become you. Uh, so that kind of gets us up to, to where our study starts now. Uh, or back to, back to the introduction part of, our, of Titus. So as we continue this introduction part in Titus, uh, he was speaking to Titus, but he was also speaking to the church, and he was wanting them to see him in this introduction so that they know Titus would remember what Paul had taught him, but what the church could see, principles in his life that they could apply to themselves. And uh, and Paul was an example to the, to the church then, and he's going to chat an example to this church today. And uh, as I, the more I study this, the more I see I need to be like Paul was then, and we as a church need to be like the church was back then. Uh, 
If we go to our scripture for today, Titus 1, 1 through 4, I'm going to read that again for us just to remind us. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot fly, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time revealed his, in, revealed his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, my true son in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. In this little introduction here, which is a little bit longer than most of his introductions, uh, uh, Paul gives a condensed insight to the principle-driven behavior that, uh, that framed up his life and his ministry. The first principle that Paul was committed to was God's mastery. You look back in the introduction, Paul doesn't introduce himself by touting all the accomplishments uh, that he had uh, made in his life. Instead, he simply describes himself as a bondservant of God. One whose will is totally surrendered over to the will of his master, that's God. And he didn't do what he thought might work or he didn't cook up plans to try to make the ends meet. No, it had to be God's plan and and it was God's will, period. He, he, he was just the messenger for him. Uh, uh, and so God was his master, and God called the shots. Uh, and now that's really a principle for us as Christians to live by. As a matter of fact, uh, when you come to Christ, you come to him as Savior and Lord, right? So if he's Lord, then he's the one that's calling the shots. And, uh, and so it's kind of in the contract that we, we made with, with Christ when we came to him, right? So Paul uh, knew who his master was, the Lord, and, uh, and what the Lord had for him to do. And that was, uh, back to our scripture, an apostle uh, of Jesus Christ, or a messenger, basically. It's not big A apostle, but it's apostle, which means messenger. And Paul's job was to take the message uh, to the world that Jesus wanted him to take. His life was a, one of submission and servanthood that worked out in taking a message of Jesus Christ to the world. Uh, kind of sounds like uh, the Great Commission, doesn't it? Going to all the world and, uh, and pre preach gospel and uh, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Lord will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, now, at this point, we've caught up uh, where we were last time, and uh, now we're going to move into go from God's mastery in, in Paul's life to God's being uh, to Paul being committed to God's mission, uh, and not only. Uh, being the guy that was God's messenger, but delivering the message in God's way. So back to our text in, in verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God, 
and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life. And we'll just stop there. Being committed to God's uh, mission takes on three aspects. First aspect is for the uh, faith of the chosen of God. Uh, For the faith of the chosen of God, that's, that's evangelism. Paul knew that he was, was there to uh, take this message for evangelism. And then, it's, secondly, for the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. And that's uh, the, the second part of uh, this mission is to, it's for the edification of those that, that receive the message. And then in the hope of eternal life, and... Uh, that's for the endurance of those that have received the message. This is a hope that sustains us uh, in view of eternal life. Paul understood that his first responsibility to God's mission was to help bring God's elect, those chosen by God, to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. And how committed was uh, Paul to this? Well, about a year after writing the letter to Titus, Paul wrote, writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, 2.10. He says, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Paul was called as a divine bondservant and apostle to proclaim the gospel in order that the elect might be brought by the Holy Spirit to faith by means of, and by that means, that election is activated. Uh, And uh, we know that Paul was uh, one that did this, and he even said in Romans uh, 10, 8 through 10, uh, as as an example to us or to tell us how it's done. Uh, But what do we say? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth... He confesses, resulting in salvation. Paul knew that the gospel had to be preached out there so that those that uh, were elect could hear it and uh, then thereby the Holy Spirit would uh, could convict them and they would come to saving faith. Uh, and then in Romans ten seventeen it says, faith comes from hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, Faith, uh, when one comes to faith, that uh, is where a point in which somebody is justified or justification occurs. So uh, Paul was all about evangelism that would lead the uh, those that were elect to uh, Salvation, and that, that at that point justification would occur. And uh, this justification is the gracious act of, by which God declares righteous those who have been placed 
have placed our trust in in his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, And it's not anything that they can do. We know that. It's nothing that we do. It's just this act of God. Uh, In Romans 4, 5, it says, But to the one who does, uh, does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited to, credited to him as righteousness. And, uh, and then it's a gift that God gives uh, when you come to faith. It's for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Uh, if we uh, look at the, the, this, Paul was all about preaching the gospel but he did it God's way. He didn't do it with man's uh, thing and the way men think about doing things. He didn't have to change anything from just a clear presentation of the gospel. And we don't have to change anything from except for give a clear presentation of the gospel. There's many out there today that uh, by their methods of preaching, they show that they don't believe that the gospel's enough. Uh, They'll have to have music to get people in the right mood, and they'll uh, have even light shows, and we've seen that thing go on. Drama and things that play on people's emotions. Uh, They'll even have long invitations of just as I am 57 times. Can you do that, Adam? Uh, That uh, pull at the heartstrings of people to try to get them to come and make decisions for Christ. That's not what Paul was about. That's not biblical. As as a matter of fact, it's manipulation when you you do things like that. Uh, And we don't do that here. Uh, It's because we realize that when the gospel is clearly preached to those who have been chosen by God, at some point the Holy Spirit will awaken them and they will believe and enter into a full benefit of their salvation. Paul knew that the saving faith that he was called to preach could not be produced or enhanced by any cleverness by him or persuasive uh, means. Uh, It's just the clear gospel. And 1 Corinthians 1, 23-25 says, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than mankind, and the weakness of God is stronger than mankind. Paul realized all he had to do was lay it out clear, and God would do the work. That's what we want to do, is put it out clear so that God can work in lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simple but it's infinitely powerful. Christ crucified and rising from the dead, this gospel will never fail to elicit a saving faith uh, at the appropriate time in those chosen by God. A clear presentation to the elect is the means by which the church of the redeemed is is built. That's how God uses uh, us to build his church. That's why uh, Jesus said upon uh, Peter's confession in Matthew 16, 18, and I also say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, 
and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. It's Christ that built the church. It's upon a presentation of the gospel and somebody's profession of faith that God's building the church. Uh, so election or being chosen uh, is God's means uh, of bringing the church to him. Uh, to himself, and Jesus stated it clearly in, uh, to the disciples that uh, election is a choosing. He said, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. If you have faith in Christ, it's because you were chosen and appointed to come to him. Uh, and a, a great scripture that uh, encases that from the history, history of in the book of Acts in Acts 13, 46 through 48 uh, it's just like the Gentiles here uh, after being rejected by the Jews it says Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly and said it is necessary that the word of God we spoke to you first since you repudiate it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life behold we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have appointed you as a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. So if somebody comes to Christ, it's because God has appointed them to do that. Uh, and Paul understood that there were people out there that were appointed. Did, God, did Paul know who those people were? No. Do we know who those people are? No. It's like Spurgeon said, uh, he said, he said, I don't know who the elect are. You know, if, if they had a uh, yellow stripe painted up their back, I'd go around pulling up the, their shirts to see who, which ones were the elect so I could uh, witness to them. But I don't know. Nobody knows. That's why I witness to everybody. And you know what? That's our job, too, to witness to everybody. As long as the earth remains, the gospel is to present, be presented to every creature uh, uh, created by God, or every person created by God, so that the chosen, the elect, can come to faith in God's timing and the church will be, be complete. Paul knew that that was part of his mission and task and it's part of uh, my mission and task, and it's part of everyone's task that belongs to him. The first part of Paul's mission was for the faith of those chosen uh, of God, and that's the evangelism that leads to the, their justification. But the mission doesn't stop there. Uh, and uh, Paul knew that he had a second responsibility in God's mission, and that was to guide them in the knowledge of the truth, which, lead, which is according to godliness. And this part of the mission is for their edification, which leads to their sanctification. Paul did not stop uh, at giving out the gospel, but he went on to teach uh, the, these, the new converts doctrine so that they could grow in Christ. Uh, in Acts 20, 27, he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel or the whole purpose of God. Why? So that they might be sanctified in the knowledge of the truth, just like he said. 
The word knowledge here in the Greek is epignosis, which comes from the base word gnosis. Uh, gnosis means to know something, to know about something, to know. Oh, that's a fact there, okay? But when you put epi in front of it, uh, it amplifies the meaning of the word. It makes it stronger, deeper, richer. Uh, it goes from just knowing something in an experience uh, knowing about something to going to knowing something in an experiential way and uh, a knowledge of being involved with it in a deep way. You go from realizing that something exists uh, to a living reality of that existence. Uh, uh, here's an example. Maybe since it's football season going on, hey, go balls. <laughs> uh, since football season going on, right, go. Memphis. <laughs> uh, for those who've never played football, uh, I'm sure you've heard about it. Uh, you know that uh, it's a it's a game, and you know maybe some of the principles of it. You know that you got to get the ball from here to there and uh, get it across the line to make some points. Uh, but uh, and if you you might get in it and be you know really into uh, watching the games and stuff like that. But until you actually get on the field and put yourself in a game where you're making contact, uh, struggling through the situation, and making things happen, uh, you really don't know football. You just think you know it until you've really uh, gotten beat up and hit and, uh, and had a victory and had losses. You don't really know football. And uh, that's what uh, happens in salvation. There's a lot of people in the church that know a lot about uh, salvation. They know that Jesus died for their sins. They know that uh, he's the savior of the world. And they know that you've got to put some faith in him. But until you truly come to him in a epignosis way, really knowing him, you just know about him. And it's a sad thing. There's a lot of people in the church that are just that way. They know about him, but they don't know him. And even more important, when they, they just know about him and they really don't know him, he doesn't know them, and there's no relationship there. When a person's changed at salvation, their life changes, and they get an appetite for this knowledge of the truth. It's just more of, than just knowing about it. It's an experience uh, that that truth moves in their life when they start understanding it and growing in it. Uh, and when they understand it, and every time they get more of it, they grow more, uh, that's where godly maturity and uh, godliness comes in. Uh, and Paul, even in this letter in, in Titus 2, 11 and 12, he puts it well. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, instructing us to deny God, ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly 
and, and in a godly manner in this present age. Saving truth leads a person through salvation and produces sanctification and increasing godliness. Uh, and godliness is the Spirit's work of sanctification. Honestly, a life that's not moving and ever-increasing uh, growth in godliness is one that's built on a spurious uh, profession of faith. Back to First Peter. In uh, 2, 3, 1 through 3, uh, Peter puts it this way. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn babes, long for the, the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You know, once you really come to Christ and tasted his kindness, his forgiveness, you're going to want to get into the Word and get the milk of the Word to grow so that you can uh, become more like Christ, uh, and which is godliness. Paul knew he had a responsibility to bring <clears throat> truth that leads to salvation and also teach truth that sanctifies and leads to godliness. And the third responsibility in fulfilling his commitment uh, to God's mission was to bring encouragement to the believers. This encouragement is based on the divine, uh, on the divine guarantee of the hope of eternal life, as he said. And that's given to every believer. When you come to Christ, you have a hope of eternal life. Uh, and that hope is that one day we'll be glorified, complete, and perfect in Christ's own righteousness. He even said it in, uh, back in Titus 2, 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. A lot of people think about uh, uh, heaven and they go, wow, I just, you know, I know, I know I'm going to be going to heaven and, and that's, I'm supposed to get excited, but... I have no clue what that's going to be like. And so I know, you know, there's no sin, and it, that sounds all sounds good, but you know, I'm really tied to this earth, and I'm excited about a family and, uh, you know, being able to do things here. And so, you know, a lot of us don't get excited about heaven, which is a shame. Something that helped me to become more excited about heaven and thinking about how glorious that's going to be. Well, one, we're going to be able to stand in front of God and see him. And we won't have to be ashamed. As a matter of fact, we'll be able to worship him pure, purely. That's exciting. But it's hard for us to comprehend how that can even happen. And some, and I, I, this was shared with me uh, and shown to me, which helped me start thinking about how sweet heaven's going to be. Have you, as a Christian, ever had a time when God just showed you something, showed up in your life and showed out, and you just said, wow, that's just amazing. 
that is just amazing that God has done that for me and can do that for me or my family. Or just let me see him do something. I can't uh, tell you what you have seen or haven't seen, but I've seen things like that. Uh, And every time I'm just overwhelmed by the glory and the majesty and the power of God to do things like that. But we only get a little taste of that as we're walking through this life because we're in this life. But uh, in the Bible it tells us that when we get to heaven God will give us daily showing new glories about himself. If he shows us a little glimpse of glory here on earth uh, and we get excited, just think. Daily, moment by moment, day by day, the infinite God is going to be showing you those glories forever. That makes me want to go to heaven. And once you've started tasting those glories, what does that do for you? That is your hope that's going to change some things as you walk through this life. Uh, And when we're talking about hope here, we're not talking about a hope that, well, I hope this happens. That's the way the world thinks about hope. That's the way human nature thinks about hope. Hope is, well, I hope this or that happens, but it's just a wish. I just wish this would happen this way. Now, this hope is something that's uh, a fact that's affirmed inalterably uh, or unalterably guaranteed by God's own word. John 6.40 says, For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. There's our hope, backed up by God's word. Uh, And that hope is given with a promise even to us. Uh, In Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, we have evidence of this promise in that in him you also, after listening to the message of the truth and the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the first installment of your inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We're given the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. So you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in you showing those little moments of glory so there's your hope. That's that's the like that endowment. It's like the first installment is the wedding ring that we have, knowing that we belong to Christ. Uh, so if you're saved and you've been sanctified and you're going to heaven, uh, you're going to be made perfect one day uh, and be there to glorify God for all eternity. And this hope of eternal life not only gives us something to look forward to in the future but it also gives us strength and encouragement in our days while we remain here on earth. Uh, 
uh, it gives us an encouragement in holiness. It encourages us to become separate and holy for God. John, 1 John 5, 3 through, uh, or 5, no, 3, I'm sorry. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 says, See how great a love that the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And in fact, we are. For this reason, the world does not know, know us because it did not know him. Beloved, we now are children of God. And it's not yet appeared yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because he, we will see him just as he is. Everyone who has this hope set upon him purifies himself just as he is pure. Knowing that we're going to be in heaven forever with God puts a back pressure on us as we are walking through this life to become more holy and desire to be righteous before God because we know where we're going and what we're going to be like there. So there's one thing that uh, this hope of eternal life does. It encourages us towards holiness. Another thing that it does is it gives us encouragement to endure whatever suffering we experience. Uh, and just like Paul said in uh, Philippians 3, 8 through 11, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them all mere rubbish so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And he says in Romans 8, 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will reveal revealed in us. When we go through this life, we got a lot of things that are going to come against us. There's death, persecution, and sin that we deal with. All those things we fight and go through. But we, go, we can endure those sufferings when we look towards what's going to happen with us and we'll be in heaven. It just gives us strength to move forward through all these things. And we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. We can do it uh, uh, and bring glory to God. And this hope of, of eternal life also encourages us in service. In Philippians uh, 3, 13 through 14, it says, Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it, but this one thing I do, forgetting all that lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press forward to the goal and the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. We want to stay busy for God. Uh, And when we start looking at who we are and where we're going, in uh, 1 Corinthians three twelve through 14, Now if anyone builds 
on the foundation with gold and silver, and the foundation is Jesus Christ, with gold, silver, and precious uh, stones, or wood, hay, and stubble, each one's work will become evident, for the day will show because it has been revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. So what we do with what God has given us to deal with here on this earth and how we uh, handle it can bring a reward for us when we get to heaven. And that's something to, to uh, everybody should want is reward in heaven, right? But the greatest reward in all of it really is Matthew uh, 25, 21. And the master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into, into your, the joy of your master. You know, if we're faithful with what God's given us to do, hey, we're going to hear the greatest thing. Well done, my good and faithful service servant. You know, this mission Paul was called to is the same mission we're called to. We're called to evangelize, edify, and encourage those around us as we walk through this walk and do what he's called us to do. Uh, when we come to Christ, he becomes our Lord. And our Lord has called us to obey him and give out his message. Our will becomes his will and his message becomes our message. And his mission is our mission. Uh, last week, uh, I found out, not last, well now it's Sunday, it's week before last I got word that uh, a friend of mine from years ago named Rusty had passed away I hadn't talked to him in years and uh, we'd had a, a relationship uh, back in 89-90 about then and uh, actually, his wife and Dottie had uh, been in a Bible study back when I was lost, as a matter of fact. And uh, I'm sure they probably prayed for me. <laughs> but uh, anyway, they had a relationship. And then uh, this couple, Rusty and his wife, Carol, went to uh, Belgium. And uh, we we were going to another church when I finally got saved, and uh, we started we decided to leave that church and, and go to Bellevue. And so as uh, when we got there, and we uh, visited a little bit, finally we joined. And about that time, Rusty was in Evangelism Explosion there and was giving a testimony before the church about Evangelism Explosion. And after that happened, Carol, the wife, came up and talked to me, and she said, you need to get into the Evangelism Explosion. 
And uh, uh, Rusty would be glad to be your trainer for that. And I said, well, you know, we're just joining the church. I need a year to at least to get used to this place before I do anything like that. You know, I was scared to death. Uh, and so uh, I br- um, blew it off and... Uh, but God didn't let me go get away. As a matter of fact, uh, get away from that because that was uh, in the spring of '89. My parents, who were strong in the Church of Christ, believed that I had made a deadly mistake spiritually by joining a Baptist church. So they came to my house and they sat down in my living room and they told me I was going to hell and that I needed to repent and come back to their church. And it was, it was rough because the whole time they were sitting there, I was trying to explain to them how I got saved and how, what God had done for me and I was getting nowhere with them. And as they were blasting away at me uh, there in the living room, I can remember praying, God, please just give me the words to say that they'll understand. He said something to me, not audibly, but the thought came into my mind. You had the words already given to you and you didn't take them. You were offered to learn how to share the gospel by somebody and, and you didn't do it. And so the next time they opened the door for somebody to come into the evangelism program, I said, I'm in. And uh, guess who was training me? Rusty. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you all that because we're talking about evangelism here, one thing. But the other thing is, as I look back at what Rusty's life did for me, he showed me that if you'll just find somebody that is ahead of you in that walk up that mountain, they can give you something that they have. And it can have an impact on your life and countless lives around you. That's what Paul was saying. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Now my challenge to all of you is that you find somebody that's following Christ this maybe a little more mature than you that can show you the things that God has shown them so that you can learn them and then you can do the same thing with somebody else. Let's pray.